Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you're listening to episode 130. Ain't that pretty, Vinny? Hey, okay. I didn't. I actually didn't know where you were going to go with that, Me but either. you went with sort of a southern interpretation of the word pretty. I like it. There's something kind of beautiful about the way we do the show and the way we do the intros and the way there's a rhythm yeah then my mind works where it's like i don't know either vince we are we are just before something is supposed to happen and i'm just like i i think i even have a moment where my eyes roll up into my head kind of like looking at my brain and they're just like what are you gonna do and then then it sends some sort of signal and the muscles move in my mouth and then i communicate and uh i feel a little bit like a passenger on this vessel that is grant but uh, (laughs) it's cool how we described the the concept of thinking in this episode that's really interesting uh but it, it is interesting because we had a really we had a guy with a very interesting perspective and a very interesting craft on the show this week where Carl's talking about William Close who is the man behind the Earth Harp Collective which if you're not familiar as I wasn't until recently is a it's literally a giant harp that he strings to geographical features architecture and then puts on these very unique of the moment performances with them super moving performances and in fact i was privy to one which is what instigated this episode i I was so moved by a performance i saw in la and i was like i need to talk with this guy and man man he did not disappoint we were we were talking about stage uh which i physically saw him on but it was just i mean a really great conversation uh uh one for the books at ten thousand hours Absolutely. Uh, and as our conversations do, they, it's sort of spiraled, dovetailed into several other conversations like spiraled, about performance. Spiraled is about right, yeah. <laughs> spiraled is right. You know, performance, pressure, um, showing up, and in some ways showing off, and yeah. why why we do the things we do, and what goes into really making a, a, a staged performance. It's interesting stuff. What a treat. Uh, we had so much fun with him. And uh, when I think of stage or I think of, um, you know, mediums, I think of, of, of performance. In, in many ways, as artists especially, uh, we are performing with our portfolio. We're just trying to display our best self. You know, we're just trying to wear our best clothes. We're just trying to do the best dance we can. And I feel like Squarespace does uh, a version of that. It, it really does help us perform best or show our best self, especially online. Uh, our our site is built on Squarespace, and that is uh, 10khrs.co. Uh, and I, I've used it for so many, so many clients, so many projects. Uh, Squarespace really is the easiest way and the most beautiful way to build a website. So shouts out to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And uh, if you are interested in trying it out, I would strongly recommend it. And, and uh, you can use our offer code, which is 10,000 hours. That's one ten three zeros. Although, oh, this is an interesting spin. Yeah, this is a, you know, variations on a theme. I like this. True. What was messing with my head for a moment there, Vince, was I was going to say three zeros, which technically is still zero. It could be an infinite number of zeros, <laughs> which could really mess with people when they're trying to input the code. Because if I say one ten and then I say one zero, it's not. It's three zeros, but it, it's still one zero. <laughs> it's one amount zero. Yes. Uh, as we ply apart the tenuous planks of mathematics, uh, I would uh, encourage you to use that promo code to get temperance to get ten percent off wait, wait. of your purchase. Uh, ten thousand hours. That's one zero 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 h o u r s. So thank you to Squarespace for your patronage uh, and sponsoring this episode. And thank you to William Close for a very illuminating and fun episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you listeners for listening. It's episode 130, Stage. Great. Yeah, Minneapolis is cool. You totally. I, I'm from Minneapolis. It's filled with beautiful people. Really. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing my best to offset the average then. <laughs> <laughs> I 
There's that beautiful sound. <laughs> I'm feeling a little... Oh, that one was... I, that sounded a little strained. Yeah, strained in a good way, though. That means I'm pushing the edges. I'm hitting the limits. I'm expanding um, my voice both physically and perhaps metaphorically. Uh, what else? You might, you might need a little auto-tune on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do that in that's post. Our, that's our sneaky <laughs> guest voice. That's, Certainly. That's sorry. Our, no, no, don't be sorry. Please, what a, what a treat. Okay, Vince, uh, I might as well just ask you, what are you working on? What are you putting your time into? I'm glad you did, uh, Grant. Actually, it's sort of uh, been, you know, some downtime for me uh, personally. I've been pretty wrapped up. We're doing director reels, reviews, callbacks. Buddy, uh, get me for, in the mix. Um, <laughs> well, our producers got a list of people that were supposed to queue up, but how do the reels look? Oh, they look good, man. They look good. Some some pretty serious commercial work. A couple right, of episodic right. stuff. You know, it's all good. It's it's names, favors, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. So we're getting queued up for a shoot end of July, and uh, where in Minneapolis? Yeah, it's all, all very fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be in Minneapolis, but it might actually. Actually, we're toying with the idea of Mexico City or Toronto. I'm in. <laughs> All right, I'll get one more ticket. Um, I, I might be in Minneapolis at the end of July, by the way. Oh, cool. Let's kick. I can't wait to see, man. Yeah. Hey, what about you, man? What are you uh, putting your time into? What are you? What are you? Uh, you know, just in the last two days, I've had I've had a real intense last couple of days. So I'm just phasing out of my work with Death to Stock, which maybe we'll dig into that on a hostful. I think that's probably worthy. <laughs> Uh, I'll, we'll reserve that topic. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Um, but uh, I literally just sent final files off. Um, I'm in post, or uh, you know, with uh, the last two music videos I did, and um, and then uh, yeah, I was assisting this photographer, Sarah Baba, who we'll, we'll show notes her, but she's one of my favorite artists, uh, contemporary photographers, and so it's been like a real treat helping her. But uh, yeah, I finally feel like I'm emerging from the fog of uh, some of this work. It's been uh, like kind of batshit man <laughs> yeah. i mean hectic and then the clarity that comes after the chaos is it's gotta is, be nice is batshit hold on is that term is it just because like bats are chaotic and to be shit on by a bat must just be this wild like like storm <laughs> of bat shit is that what that, uh, that must be with it that is etymology? a great question yeah. i'm yeah i'm not sure i mean maybe Bat guano has some sort of um, maddening properties, a la lead in your hat, something mm, like that. I don't. Mm. I have no idea. Well, we'll show notes that if we get the answer. If we don't, uh, just one of life's I'm great so mysteries. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of bat shit, um, ooh, <laughs> and there it is. Already, we've got a great segue. Uh, the first good segue of the show, Vince. Right. Probably in the show's history. I think that's yeah, safe yeah. to say. Speaking of batshit, I gotta say, actually, um, our guest today, he's not batshit crazy, I don't think. But I, I was nearly driven batshit crazy by uh, his performance I saw, I think a few months ago. I, uh, I went down to, I don't know the exact block party. It was some sort of block party in, in L.A., downtown L.A. And uh, I saw one of his performances, and I was truly mesmerized you know i haven't haven't been you know i go to a lot of live shows um i support a lot of musicians with you know music videos or creative work um and i take i really uh, appreciate a good live show and this one uh knocked my socks off and where does that come from vince what is that from i'm sure it comes from big sock lobby who wants to sell more socks (laughs) of course ah classic okay you know what? Let's just welcome to the show, uh, Mr. William Close uh, of the Earth Harp Collective, and we'll tell we'll we'll explain a little bit of that live performance, and I'm sure. But uh, welcome to the show, William. Oh, thanks, you guys. I, I mean, I'm I'm having a hard time not like chiming in on the whole batshit thing. Yeah, we like to, we like to keep you like <laughs> you're just close enough to want to get in, but then we're withholding. We're sort of a withholding podcast. I feel like that's what we get off to. You know, I, I think it's probably like one time I was on the on the beach and a seagull shit on my head yeah. and uh, I was told it's very good luck, you know, and I think it's probably the same thing with batshit, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, is that a real superstition? That's like it's good fortune. To be oh, yeah. Totally. Upon? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, by a seagull. The joke is always that like you'll get rich. I think I've heard. Wow. Oh, all right. Good. I gotta move right. somewhere with more seagulls. When, I guess when you see someone get shit yeah. on by a bird, you're supposed to congratulate them. <laughs> yeah, wow. it was. I was pretty happy about it actually. That's awesome. This has been anyway, a learning enough for me so enough far. of this like uh, shit enough talk? of. of you know, flying shit. I think you know this. This is this is a new mini segment. This has just been the first episode, maybe the only episode of a podcast within our podcast, which we'll call shit talking. <laughs> and, and or, th- or absolutely, shit. I mean, or um, well, yeah, like shit in the air. The we don't have to workshop a- the title, guys. <laughs> it's really, I mean, if you think about it, it's about aerial shit. You know, it's not just like. Okay. I mean, it has to come from the sky. I respect it's that. It's not flying per se. It's just falling. Ah, uh-huh. we've really figured it out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. All right, Vince. Can you can you ask our guest a question? I sure can. Uh, if you'd be so kind to tell us, William, what are you working on recently? What are you putting your time into? Well, um, you know, it was uh, a, a quite a dense spring. Um, I. Um, you know, through the years, I've invented over a hundred instruments, and uh, and then I, you know, developed a, a couple of teams, and we tour all over the world and present these giant stringed instruments and um, some pretty wild music. And so, uh, I think in April we did like seventy shows, and then um, and then in May um, we. Uh, did a bunch of shows that culminated actually in um, sort of the next step of the performance that you guys saw. Um, I actually was uh, commissioned in downtown Los Angeles to uh, string the earth harp from a staging, uh, you know, staging venue at the base of a skyscraper. I strung the strings 52 stories straight up. And uh, strung the skyscraper, and uh, and then we did a big, you know, big concert series with it, and um, it, you know, it was one of the harder things I've ever done. But I have to say, it was stunning, and it went off really well. So I'm sort of like catching my breath a little bit and um, hanging out with my five year old son. Ooh, that's cool, man. Oh, and fatherhood too. Hey, forgive this ignorant question, but. That was that purely architecturally decorative, the huge harp, or was it meant to be interacted with in a meaningful way? Oh no, not at all. I mean, it's it's um, the reason that I I get asked to to go all around and and string up the earth harp is that um, the sound of it is amazing. Basically, uh, you know, in a typical scenario, uh, the the body of the instrument rests on the stage. And the strings go out over the audience and attach into the architecture of the theater, um, the top of a skyscraper. I've strung it to the top of a mountain before, um, and then and so I had you know on average I have strings at least you know at least a hundred feet long, and I've developed this system uh, to play the strings where you. Uh, Basically, you wear a set of gloves that have violin rosin all over them. And instead of plucking the string, you pinch the string and run your hand along it. And it produces this, like, really beautiful symphonic tone. And so when I discovered this, that I could make music this way, I, you know, back in, like, the year 2000, um, I then had to figure out, well, how, do, how can I tune it? And so... Um, I've devised a system for tuning the instrument where basically I mount, it's like a tuning block to each string or it's like a capo sort of. But um, to give you a sense, if I want like a middle C on a piano, then I mount a block 40 feet out from that bridge that's resting on the stage. Now, if I want an octave below that, it's double. So it would be 80 feet and the octave below that 160 320 and so on um so it it's a very a very tunable very symphonic uh fully functional you know modern musical invention 
That's, I mean, that's spectacular. I had a, I had sort of an inclination about the nature of the Earth harp, but I, I just have trouble wrapping my mind around a skyscraper-sized instrument and, and what it sounds like. So that's, that is truly amazing and inventive. And maybe we can use that to parlay into our maybe. topic at hand. That uh, sounds nice. I hope so. Otherwise, what, are, what the hell are we doing here? But um, today we're talking about the stage. And I imagine that performances with such a unique instrument at such a unique moment would yield a unique result. So maybe, William, if you would, in your own words, describe what an earth harp performance is like. Sure. I mean, you know, as we're talking about the concept of the stage, um, you know, right off the bat, I'll, I'll just mention that in every installation and concert that I give with the instrument, you know, it's mounted to the stage. So it's either weighted down with about 2,500 pounds of stage weight or literally bolted to the stage. And so the stage itself is part of the instrument. And um, I think that's a really cool concept as we're, you know, as we're talking about a stage, you know, whatever that stage is, you know, a sound stage where you're recording music for a film or, you know, live concert stage. I mean, if you've ever been on like a main stage at a Coachella or one of the big festivals, the whole stage is resonating. And um, I really love that concept. Just thinking about, you know, what a stage is. It's really, it really is an instrument. It's an instrument for art and for music, mm. you know? Well, t- I mean, totally. And, and especially in the, the modern sense, the stage has become... Like that idea has expanded in a lot of ways. Not, I mean, even to the internet, I think in some ways because the performance never really stops, and that also sort of facilitates some of what happens in the physical spaces. You know, you yeah. can, you can really create the energy, and that's really what it is. It is like, and, and I mean, the venues are such they are they are such stages. I feel like the appreciation for that has really come a long way. You know, the the full experience. And you, you might be physically standing on the stage, but we're all sort of participating in it. Absolutely. You know, there's, um, I always say like, you know, a lot of times I'll be set up in a beautiful concert hall, like, I don't know, the Kennedy Center in, in Washington, D.C., or the Grand Theater in Shanghai. And, and, and literally, you know, the strings are going from the stage out and attaching into the architecture. And it's turning the whole theater, the whole venue into the instrument. So literally, you know, myself and the audience and all the musicians that are with me, we're all inside the instrument. And I like that concept. Totally. That's incredible. Wow. Well, so kind of marrying your two points, Grant, your observation and then this latest revelation, how do you think your performances live on beyond the moment of the live performance? I think that's something that a lot of musicians, uh, a lot of artists of all kinds, really um, grapple with. Uh, but your art form in specific is so, I think, locale dependent, and the architecture has such an impact. And I'm sure the sound is different as well. Do you find that it there's a good representation of it in recorded media? Absolutely. I mean... Um you know, I, I, like hearing hearing what you guys are working on, you're you're obviously spending a lot of time in in the medium of film, and um, I I think that the music that I'm up to and the the, the sort of the creations that you know the site specific experiences are are like ideal for film. Um, I. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I mean, the truth is, is that, and I personally think this is a great thing, that there's nothing like being totally. in that concert hall or in that plaza at the skyscraper or whatever. You know, I mean, being there is the true experience, right? Mm-hmm. But obviously the world can't all be there at once. So um, uh, because it's such a visual experience and a visual interpretation yeah. of music, you know, it really transfers or, or, you know, to film really well. I mean, I, I, um, a couple of years ago, I placed third on America's got talent 
And I loved that project because literally I install and then, you know, we might run the piece once, but the camera guys, the like the, you know, the filmmakers would just set up this choreography to like capture the performance. And it was like an instant gorgeous music video, mm-hmm. you know? And I just, um, so I have a lot of respect for, for film and, and, uh, you know, totally. for anyone working in that medium, I think it's really cool. Uh, what, what's cool, I think, um, as an audience member, um, with what you're doing, you know, you're talking about the visual nature of some of the filmmaking, but what's cool is, uh, because, because what you're doing is so visible, you know, I, I mean, you, you've essentially magnified the instrumentation for us all to see and, and sort of participate more because, you know, you're plucking gigantic, gigantic strings and there's just such an immediate response to it. And I feel like in some ways you're bridging the gap, even, you know, you talk about like filmmaking representing, representing something or, you know, making a visual thing. I I just think like a visual element of music, that's kind of where a lot of stuff is going. And and especially you see a lot of um, uh, producers who are, putting together live shows and one of the big things and trends i've seen is that you know djing especially like producers just kind of djing their own tracks uh that that is just way less participatory and visceral for audience members and so a lot of them are are just trying to ramp up to some sort of visual instrumentation whether that's triggering samples with some sort of percussion or just something because then you can feel it so much more as an audience member yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a, uh, a big fan of electronic music and um, I certainly like we incorporate loops and yeah, yeah. modern elements. Um, but I have to say, you know, the moments that, you know, people come up and, to, and say they like burst into tears or when, you know, it's just like myself playing the earth harp with maybe a violin or, you know, or just a, a beautiful vocalist like. Yeah. Getting back to that pure acoustic representation of music, and um, there's definitely a magic to that. Now, on the other spect- side of the spectrum, there's also like a magic to like feeling amazing 808 yeah, yeah. kick drum bass. You know, it's like you know, and you can only experience that through a nicely produced track. So, you know, I think it's a it's a balance. You know, no, for sure. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm. I mean, we'll definitely show notes as a as a side note. We'll show notes. Uh, you know, a video of you playing the earth harp that I think would be probably good context for people to dig into as we're having this conversation or, or prior to. But um, I'm wondering if you could take us back a little bit as to how you got here, how you got there, where the earth harp came from, and kind of what your path looked like as uh as a musician and as a creator and i guess inventor entrepreneur you're bridging a lot of gaps it's, re- it's really cool yeah um thanks yeah i um uh well i studied uh i went to the school of the art institute in chicago and i was studying um sculpture architecture and music it's sort of sound design um and uh, so i started you know combining it all of course and creating these sound sculptures slash music you know musical instruments and um and i just i i sort of had this like inherent understanding of of the medium you know and there there wasn't a lot of you know there, there weren't a lot of people exploring you know the invention of instruments um sort of on an architectural level um and so, and so it's sort of just, uh, it's like any process, you know, it's like one, one step leads to the next step, you know, and, um, I started off, I think the first instrument was, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she gave me an exhaust pipe for my birthday. And so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, classic yeah. gift. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what an art school gift, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and so then I turned that into the exhaust pipe harp, which sounded kind of like this grunged out sitar and started playing that in, you know, the band I was in and stuff. And um, it really captured people's imagination, you know. And so I just sort of grew upon that. And then 
I remember I, I ran a, um, a string like 30 feet across my loft uh, where I was living and started experimenting with how to create sound and pull sound out of it. And all of a sudden I, I found this method of, you know, hitting it with the rosin glove and it was just like these beautiful tones. And then I figured out how to tune it. And, um, and that all sort of led up to the first, the very first earth harp installation, which, um, I convinced this, this science and art organization to let me, uh, string their valley. So basically I, I set up a series of chambers on one side of the valley and it was kind of like a canyon, actually, and, and ran strings a thousand feet across to the other side and uh, turned that, that canyon into a giant harp. And that's, that's where it gets its title, Earth Harp. Um, and, and then from there, you know, it, it sort of, uh, I mean, there's, it, it was always developing. I was, I'm still learning about the instrument a lot, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, uh, you know, from there, I started uh, stringing it to architecture. And um, so after the Valley, the very first thing I did actually was string it to the Field Museum in Chicago. And after that, I they, I was invited to the Winter Garden, you know, uh, at the base of the Twin Towers. Whoa. And so I strung it there. And um, when was that? That was like, you know, whatever, 2000. 2001, I guess. I mean, before the towers came yeah, down. Okay, okay, so yeah. Before September yeah. 20. Yeah. 2020, okay, yeah. Yeah. So it was a real trip, and then you know, and it really has been specifically the Earth Harp. You know, I it has been an adventure and continues to be. You know, I um, swinging it to the top of the Seattle Space Needle, or um, I just. I just set it up in this beautiful, like, 8th century monastery in Portugal, you know, or, I don't know, it's just all these unique spaces, and it's really about turning those places, those spaces, into the instrument, you know? This is extremely fascinating to me. Um, Could I ask, this is sort of a base question, but it, it is interesting to me. Is there sort of a white whale location that you would love to string the harp to that you have yet to? Well, is there like a bucket list of harp locations? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there definitely are. I mean, um, maybe, hey, maybe Donald will invite you out and we'll, we'll get you in the District of Columbia over on 1600 Pennsylvania. (laughs) That sounds good, man. You know, I'll I'll (laughs) string up, I'll string up, actually. My, it seems like right up his alley, yeah, the Earth Harp. Well, yeah. you know what's really funny about that is that if you he did this skit on Saturday Night Live, like way back when, where he was playing a laser harp in the blues band, and he was like <laughs> totally pissing off everybody in the blues band, yeah. you know, because he was playing. Yeah. It. it was classic. Anyway, wow. we'll but, but my. Uh, my great grandfather actually designed uh, the World War One memorial on the, um, you know, in Washington D.C. So I know I've always wanted to connect with that, but you know. But oh, that's yeah, a really, it, that's a great one, and it's a, it's a personal one. That's very interesting. Yeah, very personal. Yeah. Man. Um, do, do, yeah. So I, it's been a real. It's been a total journey. I mean, I I think if there's there's a couple of concepts that. I have like Please. theatrical concepts um, where literally, you know, where I basically take over a, you know, 1500 seat theater and, and string literally a thousand strings in it. And, um, and so there's just such an amazing element of, you know, acoustic resonance um, and sympathetic resonance, you know, all these yeah. strings, even though they're not being played, maybe they all are in a state of resonance, you know, from the music. So, um, so that's a concept that I really want to do. Amazing. So. Can you, okay. So th- this is bass too, but I'm just wondering if you could take us back a little bit into how you approach or, or maybe even things you've learned um, in in developing a live show, you know, over the last it seems like like almost twenty years, 
so many more. But but just like kind of what you've learned in in preparing for something like that, or how how you approach it philosophically or practically. Well, you know, um, I would have, you know, there's a lot of influences for me because very early on, um, I sort of cued into the, the event world and, um, uh, started working a lot in, you know, museum openings and, you know, and like, you know, things that we're looking for an interesting spectacle. And so, um, in those situations, you know, I mean, it's fantastic because it, it helped me to fund all the other ideas and concepts that I had, but it really, it really guided me in taking the work I was doing and, um, kind of mainstreaming it enough so that, you know, a corporate audience would, would get it, you know, or, um, you know, I mean, you, you just can't be too weird. <laughs> you know, you, you got <laughs> You got to like give people something to, you know, that they can understand and then you can get weird, yeah. you know? Yeah. That is it. That's extremely interesting. Like twist on the idea of performance that when stage, like, a huge integral part of the stage, and I know we brushed up against this already, is the audience. And you need the audience to be actively participating, or maybe you don't. Maybe your thing is that the audience feels alienated, or maybe the <laughs> thing is that the audience is learning and uncovering what the performance means as the piece goes on. So the experience you want the audience to have is, I think, a really, I mean, I think, not like I'm coming up with the concept, but it's a very important part of the performance piece. Absolutely. Is, have you learned over time? You've been doing this for for quite a while now. Have you learned how to make the performance more uh, inclusive, or maybe for a more colloquial term, gettable uh, to different like or to broader? Me. Yeah, accessible, yeah. accessible. Absolutely, guys. I mean, you know, I I was like cutting my teeth in Chicago when like you know atonal new music was like kind of hip and like just really like weird quirky shit that like I personally was not emotionally affected by it in any way. And I realized I was like, you know, my role as an artist um, is really to, I, I personally think is to inspire the audience and to have that audience have an experience that they can connect with and maybe expand with and um and uh and honestly enjoy you know i mean i'm not there to like piss off the audience in any way i i I really am a believer in um you know playing to your audience i mean i you know my i've always said um you know i've i've taught a couple of uh courses and stuff and i've always talked about how like you know if you want to push an audience or you want to introduce something new the first thing you need to do is to get your audience comfortable and make sure that they're like ready to then take that step, you know? So I've always believed in like, you know, I mean like, you know, we'll, I'll play a, a, I don't know, Led Zeppelin cover or a, a, um, a ba- piece of Beethoven music before I, you know, lay some like wild, you know, modern more electronic type of vibe on it you know i mean that's yeah. kind of well I, that's, where i'm going with it that, no i i totally get that and i i i do some like mixing djing stuff and i feel like the thing is like if you don't let anyone in like they just of course you know uh, uh, as an artist you aspire to truly affect people and to push their their expectations or their limitations of, of what it is, what it could be. But some people, it's just like you go so far and you don't let people in. Whereas like you can kind of give somebody a, a life raft with, with something that they know and that allows them to lower their guard or just like yeah. shut up the kind of fearful centers in their brain that are firing like, ah, this is awkward. This is, uh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, it's just like make, make them feel at ease. Right. I mean, Exactly. Exactly. 
I mean, I, I, yeah. It's really cool. I mean, it's a great, it's a great thing. I think, and as artists, you know, it's kind of our role, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I've always, I've always thought as of artists, we're kind of like scientists, but we approach things a little more poetically. Right. Totally. So, you know, I mean, we're trying to push, too. yeah, yeah performative. Yeah. And we're trying to push the envelope and, you know, we're trying to discover, you know, and, and, and find the next thing within maybe, you know, within the medium, whatever medium we're working in. But, um, yeah, I think it's our responsibility to like, you know, take care of our audience Totally, for sure. That's really cool. Okay. So what, what I appreciate about what you're doing is that, uh, you're, innovating and attempting innovation and experimenting within music within instrumentation which is really cool because it, you know you've got the a bit of a tinker kind of mindset within something that is uh not well there's been a lot of there's been innovation but you know in instrumentation we just have such classic uh concepts of what that is um so mm. I'm, I'm curious a lot of ingrained ideals yeah, when it comes to yeah. especially classical string especially string instruments yeah oh man i mean that right there is honestly is one of the reasons i started building my own instruments because you know i was in art school and you know i was like a pretty esoteric think like well i just i didn't like the rules of music (laughs) you know so i was like well if i make my own instruments i don't have to follow anyone's rules so anyway, yeah. Uh, man, I, I definitely relate to that. I, I feel like I've maybe more broadly been doing that in terms of not even like instrument being my creative work. Like, well, if you can't, if you can't define whatever work I do, you know, I do a lot of filmmaking, but I do a lot of other stuff. If you can't define whatever work I do. It's like, I can kind of do whatever I want. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so and also, like you know, it's important that we realize and acknowledge the fact that we're we're pretty we're pretty geeky. I mean, we're geeks, you know. Yeah. It's like a lot of musicians are. I mean, they might be super cool and this and that, but honestly, we're all geeks too, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's that side that is really um, actually really special, I think. Oh, man, I'm I'm totally agreed. I, I I definitely experienced. I mean, I have experienced that with professional musicians, but on the production side. And it's something I try and run away from somewhat because it, it's a dark rabbit hole for me as a director. But there are just fucking gearheads, man. And that is their reality. And it's beautiful because it enables so much creativity. Um, and that's, I think, what I appreciate about, about what you're doing is that you have that geekiness, that kind of, well, you know, I don't know you that well, but I mean, inventing instruments to whatever degree. <laughs> You know, there's yeah. a gearhead kind of idea there. Somebody who's willing to like, who who has the artistic influence and perspective, but is willing to get like go deep on the execution because that's where it comes together. You know, like there are a lot of dreamers, a lot of people who have really great creative ideas, but a lot of times the technology, whether that's classic or modern or evolving, whatever, like that's what enables the actual execution of the creative ideas. It's totally. But it's yeah, exactly. It's our tools, you know. So I'm interested. There's a dichotomy that I'm sort of inventing on the fly, but it exists as a general way of speaking uh, between preparation and performance, and and all of art kind of like falls loosely into these two camps. Um, with something like a classical pianist who is reciting music that and they didn't necessarily write it's a classical piece for instance it's a lot on the performance aspect obviously practice makes perfect but the major moment in the performance is actually doing it whereas an artist though there would be galleries and showings etc uh the major working portion is in the preparation but your art is quite an interesting blend of the two uh, so I would like to know which of these appeals to you more. When you got into this, obviously in school you were studying both ends of the craft. So which drew you to this sort of spectacular form of instrument making and playing? Is it is it performing on something that's never been performed on before, or is it making it yourself? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because um, when, I was, when I was first starting to do this, and, you know, I mean, I, I really came from a, um, you know, a family of, of architects and visual artists. And 
and there wasn't much music around, but I loved music and I was always in garage bands and this and that. But when I started to do this, I, I was like, I was like grinning from ear to ear because I had the best of both worlds. I, you know, one of the main lessons in art school was it wasn't about the product. It was the process, you know? And, um, so there I was, you know, when I, when I'm inventing and creating a new sculptural instrument or, a you know, a new concept, like that really is so process based, but I'm also, you know, a human and an American and I love the concept of product, <laughs> you know? And so to be able to have that completion moment and then, then take that thing that I've created and use it as a tool to then create this other form of, of, well, it's like a time-based uh, medium, you know, cause it's, it's music, you know, it uses time. It, it, it really is. Um, it's a wonderful balance. And I'm, I'm grateful that I, I get to experience, you know, both parts of the process for sure. Well, that was a, an even more comprehensive and illuminating answer than I was expecting. Now, I don't, I'm not sure why. Well, it seems like uh, that reflects that me, the asker, and not you, the answerer. It's <laughs> awesome. No, but it, it makes sense that you'd be drawn to both. In, in reality, it is the pairing of the two, I imagine, that makes it such a unique and special thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking to you guys from my studio here, and I'm looking around, and there's like, you know, there's like a full, you know, sound studio, Pro Tools rig, all that stuff. And then, you know, then there's an earth harp that's sitting here in the studio and the strings are shooting out an opening in the architecture and going up to the side of the mountain here. Um, and then over there is like a half built, you know, sort of sculptural object that, you know, I'm playing around with, you know, and so it. And and there's like sawdust on the keyboards, you know, like yeah. like it's kind of all there, you know. Uh, dude, that that's good for you. It's awesome that you've carved out that niche because that if there's uh, some things I've learned with my brief ish, uh, you know, amount of time with some of the creative work I've done, it's that um, you know being in person, getting to perform getting to share that like that is at least for me it seems like a very very meaningful experience and not that but i mean filmmaking it's it's cool and it's cool especially to watch it with people but a lot of a lot of the work that most creatives do happens in their bedroom and then sort of like stay you know it, it other people experience it but they don't get to be a part of of other people's experience and so I, I feel like that's something really special about the live performance and, and especially the musical performance. Yeah, I would think as a filmmaker, like, you know, obviously like the premiere and and, and, and times when you're there for the presentation yeah, of yeah. the film, that's that's got to give you a little bit of a hint of that experience, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. But that that's exactly a hint. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I think about that a lot, you know, because I love – I love film. Film's an amazing medium. And I, and I'm sitting there having this great experience watching a film and like, there's really no way to let the artist know that, you know? Dude, totally. I, I am still really early in music stuff, but I have been like the last couple of years building on that. You know, it's, I've been taking production lessons from someone and, and I've been DJing. I, I mix pretty regularly. Um, honestly, just because I, I crave that, participation and the experience with the audience it's oh just, that's cool yeah yeah i mean it's it's way more powerful um or at least way more well yeah I, yeah I, I think that it is it at least scratches a different itch and that is like a lot of people i think you know you just you just don't get scratched with with just putting the work out yeah i mean you know i mean i you know and i pose the question to you guys i mean you know why do you do this cool podcast it's like you know, just getting on here with you, I realized that, you know, you're, you're like sort of comedians and you're smart and like, 
witty and you're like performing, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on just within this, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, for we sure. We really do it to farm extremely generous compliments from our cool guests. Yeah, that's <laughs> like that's really super, about, that's super that. real. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. No, I mean, we, we've uh, talked well, about thanks that. Thanks for saying that. We, we've talked about that on on the show several times. It really is like it's uh, the nectar that we're getting out of it is is truly the the is the show. The show it becomes a performance, and and it's great for us to show up, to be present, to kind of agree to be here and then to engage with really interesting people. And we've kind of like allowed that to be enough. You know, if that's all we get out of it, that's plenty. Um, and in a lot of ways it does, it does force us to show up. It does give us an opportunity to be here. And so that, you know, that's one reason. And then beyond that, we, you know, it is cool to share this stuff. It's the sort of content or, or conversations that I crave or listen to otherwise. And I don't know, it just, so that, that feels special to us. Yeah, that's cool. You know, um, I, 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 I recently, well, whether it's like, uh, You know, like I've spent some time in some cool, really awesome group therapy sessions, right? Yeah, yeah. Or like, and and this this kind of reminds me of it. And I often think of it like where it's it's like we're jamming music, mm-hmm. but we're actually, you know, it's we're, we're, it's with conversation. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, one one thing that one person says like opens up a whole another thought process in another person. And then it, I don't know, it's, it's a very I, musical process. I'm glad, I'm glad you feel that because you know, we've, I've described it as that definitely to people. It's like, wow, this is, uh, I won't make the, this is cheaper than therapy joke, but it is legitimately creative therapy for us, you know, because the, these are conversations that we get to have with pretty top tier creators in whatever that field is. And it expands our minds and our our uh, philosophies, our thoughts on particular subjects, and we just get to express things. So, it, it, like, whenever people talk to us about doing podcasts, it's like, yeah, you do, you don't need you don't even need an audience, real. I mean, if you're doing it consistently, you're going to get such huge benefits out of it, just like therapy. I mean, it really is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. This is I gotta go back to fast. therapy. I'm just so happy. <laughs> Just, my mood is just spiking, uh, but but yeah, yeah in, totally. in a lot of ways it, it is like a weekly performance. Except for that, the the guests we have on are usually such like great illuminating people that the pressure is almost zero. So yeah. I think that's like one of the major ways that it's different. Or maybe it's not. Before we do something a little not so germane, uh, maybe you could talk about the pressure of performing. Is that something that's subsided over time, or is it something that you still feel very acutely uh, every time you get out there? Um, well, I, you know, I, have you guys, you guys know the whole Malcolm Gladwell concept of 10,000 hours? <laughs> yeah, we're familiar with Yeah, it. basically the idea is like, Wait. Once you once you've been doing something Is for ten thousand hours, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm just Wait. just in case your your listeners okay, okay, don't okay, know. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> but like the Beatles when they hit ten thousand hours, all of a sudden they, you know, like all these guys, uh, Bill Gates, you know, uh, the Apple guy. I can't think of him right now. Anyway. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Jeez, okay. that happened to me. I really thought me. you were serious for a second, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, about you guys not knowing it? No. Yeah, you know well, our, I mean, You know what our shit. show is called, right, William? <laughs> what, with the, the title of the show? Yeah. No, what is it? It's 10,000 hours, William. William, you're what? on the show 10,000 hours right now. <laughs> Oh my God! I'm I I I'm so sorry that I've stuck my foot so deeply in my mouth. No, this, this is, is my plus. favorite show moment that I've ever had. This is the best one. I think you love it. Well, that's perfect then. So for me, what happened is I hit ten thousand hours, and all of a sudden, I like, I I just. I, I just hit a new relationship to the stage, you know? It was just like, oh, okay, this is, this is home. I'm, I'm ready to, like, you know, do everything I can to, you know, and of course I get nervous. I mean, if you're not nervous before a show, then there's something wrong. Yeah. I, it's like, you know, it's like I used to do a lot of sailboat racing, and before every race, you know, it's like you had to be nervous. You used to do sailboat racing? 
Yeah. That's awesome. You're you're a renaissance man, I think, is the, the industry term. But that is actually a very cool, and I think, I mean this lovingly, weird response. Usually you get the, when we ask people to react to that concept, that Gladwell popularized, that 10,000 hours uh, is how long it takes to master a craft. It's usually along the lines of, oh, it's a gradual thing. You don't really know where one hour begins and the next ends. And like, it still in some ways feels as fresh as the first day, but that hitting that 10,000 hour or, or an approximation of it being like a light switch is a response that we have not received before. So I think, that's Oh yeah. Very I, interesting. You know, I, I, I was like, it, I remember like all of a sudden something happened and I was like, what the fuck? This is wild. And then I started to add it up. I'm like, well, how long have I been doing this? And I added it up, and it was right around 10,000 hours. I was like, it really was. It was a big, like, step up, for sure. Mm-hmm. That is that's beautiful. And I, I honestly can't think of a better way to <laughs> put a bow on that part of the conversation and move to the next. I mean, I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear about this last. I just feel so stupid that I didn't know the name of the show. No, no, no. That, <laughs> no, that, no. That's amazing. I, I'm glad. I'm honestly glad not a big deal. And it's honestly kind of beautiful. It's beautiful. It is absolutely right. beautiful. And yeah, you're, you're good. Man. Awesome, guys. All right, Vinny. <laughs> so I feel like there's something on the tips of our tongues. Wait, mm, and our maybe tongues. on our lips as we speak about something that's not particularly germane. Um, to the William, topic. every week we like to, to move the conversation kind of awry and talk about a Great. topic. And this week, it's sort of a it, – it requires slight setup. We're talking about cider. So, are you a drinker of alcohol? And if so, are you a drinker of cider? I, you know, I love cider as long as it's dry. Mm. Mm-hmm. If it's too sweet, it's not. It's not for me. But I love dry cider. I was drinking some dry cider in London once. It was so good. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm also a fan of dry ciders. I feel like cider fans usually are. Yeah. Um, but what I love about cider and sort of hate about it is like, you can't appreciate it or you can't talk about it without sounding like some super like uptight Anglophile, like American cider is so sweet and syrupy. Like you really want the stuff from overseas, but then, and even though it's true and well-intentioned, you sound sort of like a little, you sound a little pompous, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we gotta, we gotta get our pompousness out wherever we can. You know? uh, please. Yes, I figure cider is a pretty inoffensive way to, to leach it out. Yeah. Exactly. Vinny. I mean, it's not like we're talking about wine or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Shouts out, out to wine. But you know, you know what I think, uh, you know, we brought this topic up because I, I've been, we've both been drinking cider, but I've, I've been drinking a lot of cider lately, Vin. And I realized cool. it was mostly because uh, I just don't drink beer these days. I just find it it isn't agree with me that well. And whenever I'm drinking it, I'm not. You know, I just like don't feel great. And maybe that starts to just like become a thing in my head. But either way, I'm just like, ah, I'm gonna avoid that. You know, like a lot of other kind of dietary things in general. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. But um, but what I missed was the sort of just like lightweight, like alcohol consumption, like social kind of thing. Wine is like a. It's just like. It's like not that casual. I love wine. Wine. Like, the problem with wine is you got to pour it into a glass. Exactly. Cider. There's something really beautiful about and contained about that experience. It. it it's like. Uh, it's like. Uh, it's like just listening to a song or something in your headphones. It's like I'm just gonna drink, drink this cider, and I'll talk. It's to very you non-committal, it. right? Cider, low alcohol content. It's tasty, like juice. It doesn't fill you up. Refreshing. I mean, it's like really a dream. It's a dream drink. I mean, for me, when I think of cider, I think of uh, some story from when I was a kid. It was like a children's book, and it was all these, like, weird animals, like possums and, like, foxes and stuff, and they were always sipping on cider. (laughs) Wow. We're going to put our show notes research team to work (laughs) trying to dig up. I can't remember what it was. (laughs) What this book is. Do you think this was one of the earliest instances of Big Cider? The Big Cider lobby, maybe. (laughs) Big Cider has been sneaking cider into children's fairy tales for millennia? I think that's a fair... Totally, man. That's that's where that's why it's popular these days. Uh, 
Wow. Mm, true, true. I actually got into cider because I was doing a gluten-free thing for a couple oh, months. Oh, nice. How'd that go? Yeah. And, uh, well, it ended in disaster, but for a couple months, <laughs> it was, like, really good. It it ended with, like, a, a pizza binge that is one for the history books. Um, <laughs> but for a while, I was doing oh, pretty good. Oh, that sounds good. good. <laughs> and uh, and in doing it, I sort of curbed pretty significantly my beer consumption uh, and replaced it with cider. Uh, I was just picturing you just like covered in tomato sauce, just like <laughs> shirtless <laughs> in your apartment. <laughs> Jeez, Did you guys ever see that? Um, there was like an album cover. I think it was uh, it was for The Who. I think it was an album cover. But it was their drummer. Um, oh, what was his name? Pete. Pete. Uh, I can't think of his name, but he was literally in this tub just covered in baked beans. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's just a crazy image. Oh, that is it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I feel Cold like... Cold baked beans. Uh, I, I've been like... I've been doing... I've been shooting with more artists recently, and I've been kind of just pushing like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to push the conceptual side if I'm going to keep doing this sort of photography because like... Not that I don't like capturing someone, but... It, it's funny to wonder where that came from, especially when you have so many people, people's voices in the mix and you have to get approvals and things. And it's like, what, what is <laughs> yeah. that? What is that? I mean, probably not on like a fucking earth harp pitch, but it's like, yeah. all right, yeah, yeah. Totally, <laughs> we're going to totally. cover them in baked beans, put them in the tub. I, I mean, there I must have been love- like a bean sponsor involved somehow. <laughs> Big beans? <laughs> no, Big beans was involved. I don't know. I think probably with the Who, it was much to the to the fear and chagrin of their producer, where they're like, "Recover yeah. this dude beans. No, please, anything but that. No, now we're definitely covered in the beans. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, uh, well, thanks for indulging us. I'm. I yeah. think actually, I'm indulging a cider after this. So, um, Respect, without same. much more ado, we should maybe jump jump back with a couple of questions so, that we have for you. I, I'd love to, Vin, if we could, and I know we don't talk about this a lot uh, as we're heading back in into the topic, but I would love to talk some about something like actually particularly germane to the topic. <laughs> oh, like the topic. oh, you had me going there for a second. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would like that too, Grant. So, William, we ask our guests two questions. Um, each and every episode. And the first one goes like this. <laughs> I'm doing a very purred happily if there's any Parks and Rec fans out there set up to this. Um, no, no, anyway, no. without further ado, how can our listeners support you, William? Um, oh, uh, well, I mean, uh, I guess with their ears... And their eyes. I thought you were going to say, I, guess with their emails. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, um, there's, there's lots of videos. And, and uh, you know, I've got this all this amazing content from the skyscraper that um, uh, I'll try and get you guys some, some clips of it for, for if you're. But, but I just, um, you know, I mean, I think for, for me, it's like. I just, um, I, 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 I want to just share what I do with the world, like any artist, yeah. you know, I mean, so for me, I think it's like, you know, if, if, if your listeners find this at all inspiring, you know, maybe check out some of the earth art stuff online or, um, what's the, you what's know, the keep, website? William? Um, well, you know, just earthharp.com, yep. uh, what is like the, you know, it's sort a hub, of uh, a bit of a hub. Yeah, it's got lots of stuff, and it really shows the story. I, it, it does. I, I think you guys are doing a good job with that. And and I will say, just from firsthand experience, uh, if I, I don't know if you guys announce like dates or, or whatever, but if you're able to to follow along and see that a show will be anywhere near you, I would strongly, strongly recommend it. I mean, you know, the reason that we reached out and the reason that we wanted to have you on was because I did have a, a really strong uh, reaction to your performance downtown LA. I was like, this is, I've never fucking awesome. seen this. And, and you know what's really beautiful? I was not looking at my phone. Not, there's anything totally wrong with that. I was not looking at my phone, and I, and I was with, like, a group of friends, and we all shut the fuck up for a little while. You know, and oh, that's we, great, we, man. We just participated, and it was like, and, and I think, um, you know what? Actually, I, I am connecting this a little bit back, but when you talk about things being accessible, 
what I think your instrumentation, like the physical <coughs> instrument does, is it lets everyone sort of just like let go of like, uh, of, oh, like, sh- I, am I supposed to pay attention? Like, it lets us all just agree, oh, this is worth looking at. You know what I mean? It's sort- oh, that's cool. You know, yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful about that. And uh, so I think that's like a, a – but, yeah, it's, it's really – it's a special, a special thing to see and experience and be a part of. You know, I'm glad that you caught that actual that, – that was kind of a um, – that was an interesting project for me because I um, – I, you know, I don't usually step out and do these sort of solo. And I think I had Soren with me. It was a duet with we, we yeah, both of us. He was singing, yeah. And then you guys kind of, yeah. you guys like loop some stuff occasionally, which was really yeah, cool. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but what was cool about that night, I remember it was sort of like, uh, you know, because I, I could kind of make my own schedule, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was with the, it was um, on Broadway Festival, is what it was. Yeah, but I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play on. You know, at a, the top of every hour is what I told him, and then and then we got into it, and it was like, you know, it was like it was deep music, you know, and all yeah. of a sudden we were we were playing for three hours straight, and yeah, we were just in it. I was, it, I was you know? there for a good a good hour plus of music. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah. So there was some there was some like solid magic happening. So cool. I'm really glad that you got to see that, yeah. and it was like there was some real like creation on our part. Like we had, you know, we were coming up with new stuff you know That's so it was incredible. cool yeah man thanks for being there yeah thanks for performing and i will show notes examples of your work and where to find you and you know maybe you should listener and your, and your joe home, listener home, we'll, or jane listener yeah we'll show notes find your home a, address and just head on over to, to find yeah. a near you though really um it sounds uh, you know i do a lot of yeah i do a lot of performing arts centers i mean cool um, and then, you know, festivals and then we're working on, um, putting together this, this skyscraper tour. So hopefully, you know, it'll be at a skyscraper near you. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then sort of to dovetail off of that, William, uh, the second question, if you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the episode, what would that be? Well, um, You know, I really like that you guys mentioned the concept of, of sort of renaissance thinking, you know, um, and I say that not not in a pompous way, but in <laughs> rather like a well-rounded way. Like what I've really enjoyed from this conversation is, you know, how, you know, it, it was steeped in, you know, artistic philosophy and, and, and you know, and and uh research and all the stuff that we've all done but then you know there's like we're laughing a lot and you know we're like having fun and um and the uh you know the cider is flowing so basically what i'm trying to say is like i i really think that what i try and explore in life and in my art is finding that that way of just generally being and where you're sort of letting all those things um be a part of your life you know and i I think we did a nice little uh microcosm of it on this conversation Uh, wow thank thanks for doing the wrap-up job for me as well (laughs) (laughs) i think so too william i think so too so thanks so much for joining us this was a fun uh and insightful conversation yeah, yeah, you guys are really cool, and I'm I, I I'm totally a fan of Ten Thousand Hours now. Love it, love it, <laughs> great, we'll, uh, thank you, we're thank put you that on so posters. much. Posters, we'll be tweeting that out. <laughs> and so, to prove your fanhood, maybe you could do us one more favor. Uh, we sign the show off with our. So it's like a catchphrase, kind of. It's ship it, and then we have our guests say that. So, if you could give us a, a rousing ship it to sign us off, in uh, a way that only the Earth Harpist can. Like, like, as in, like, ship it. Um, all right. Um, well, uh, hmm. well, I had, you know, I grew up on sailboats yeah. and I've spent a lot, of, and I actually have uh, a show that is running on a giant ship right now for the next eight years. So Amazing. there is a certain, there's a power to the to the ship, and sometimes you just got to ship it. So ship it, guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to learn more about that ship, but <laughs> maybe that, for the next time you're cruise, on. Cruise thing? Yeah, yeah. It's on one of the Royal Caribbean ships. Amazing. Oh, I built cool. a show for him. So. Very cool. Oh, again, thanks so much. That that'll do nicely. To- I totally appreciate you, the time, man. You're so, you're such an ideal guest for us. You really are. You're just like ten out of ten yeah. for our kind of what we're into. So that's it's great. Thanks, man. Yeah, right on. Likewise, I um, yeah. was very cool. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, here's my little son, Phoenix. He's just coming in right now. Phoenix, hey, buddy. Phoenix, good timing, my friend. Hold on, guys. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? Yeah. 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 Okay, great. All right, say hi. Hi. Hi, Phoenix. Hey, Phoenix. You have very good timing. Phoenix, What's could, your name? could you say ship it, maybe? Uh, hey, Phoenix, can you say ship it? Ship it. <laughs> <laughs>